Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. My name is Dave Robbins. I am, I've been the youth pastor here at Wildwood for 22 years. And um, so um, I'm going to share with you some things this morning, and I hope that um, it'll be good stuff. And what I want to do this morning, my hope is, is that I will just hose you down with hope. And I'm hoping that as we leave here this morning here in oh, about 30 minutes or so, that you'll be drenching and dripping with hope because... Um, that's what God desires of us and has desires for our lives. And just close your eyes and just listen to that word, hope. Isn't that just a sweet word, hope? It's just so good. Say it out loud, hope. One more time, come on, say it. Hope, one more time, hope. That's just awesome. And I, wanna, I just wanna drench us in that this morning. And um, I know as I look at my life, Sometimes I feel that at, I have, get in hopeless situations and I notice that my life is, is, I'm not feeling and I'm not overflowing with hope, but that's what God's plan is for our life. That is not the average Christian life, but it's the normal Christian life that we would be filled up and overflowing with hope. And so I'm hoping that that's what will happen this morning as we look at God's word. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Romans 15. If you don't have your own Bible, on the seat back, on the chair right in front of you at the bottom, there's a Bible. You can grab one of those, Romans 15. If you have a Bible on your phone, feel free to use that as well as long as uh, you're not texting. I'm just kidding. Um, you can text someone as long as they're in the room. You know, you can say, hey, what did you think about that last point? I'm just kidding. I don't want to give permission to wildlife kids, I guess, to text. I, I, that's probably a bad idea. Uh, during the sermon, so anyway, but Romans chapter 15, look at this verse. This is one we ought, we ought to have memorized. Romans 15, verse 13, it says this. This is so good. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, in believing what I just talked about, Christ's finished work on the cross, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's take that apart. Now, may the God of hope, it could be translated, may the God who gives hope. Now, may the God who gives hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Why? That you may abound in hope. The word abound has the idea of waves of hope, that you may receive waves of hope. The NIV translates it, that you may be over, that you may overflow with hope, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, that is just one great verse. It's got so much great truth in it. And so much of the time and most of the time, if I'm honest, I wish that verse described me. I mean, would you say that your life is described by being filled with all joy and all peace and abounding in hope? Again, that's God's will. That's God's will for our life. When you think of people that think that God's will is something bad, <laughs> um, 
It just is ridiculous. We have such a great God. He's our Abba Father, and he loves us. And this is his plan and his will for our life. So much of the time we don't receive it, uh, and we don't receive what he wants to give us. And his plan is for us to be overflowing with hope and spilling onto others. You don't have to turn there, but First Peter 3.15 instructs us to do this. I quote, always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you. Peter's talking to a group of Christians that are being persecuted for their faith. And the fact that he would say this implies that the Christians back then in the early church were so filled with hope that on a regular basis, people that didn't know the Lord would ask them, why are you so filled with hope? Where does that hope come from? You're being beaten. You've been, you know, kicked out of your homes and imprisoned because of your faith, but you still, you're full of hope. Again, that's God's plan for us. And here's the truth. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have hope. I'll say it again. I know that's simple, but I want you to take it to the deeper level. Don't think with your head now. Let it sink to your heart. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have already been given this hope. Despite hopeless circumstances that come in our life. But what is this hope exactly and where is this hope really found? When you hear the word hope, you tend to think of hope that has to do with things of this world. When people are younger, they hope that they make the team or they hope that they make the squad uh, they hope to have a lots of friends, and if they're honest, they would even be, admit, I hope that I'm popular. Or as they get a little bit older towards the end of high school, they hope for a scholarship. They get out of high school. They hope to get a good job. They hope to get married. They hope to be able to buy a house. A few more years down the road, they hope to buy a bigger and better house. <laughs> they get quite a bit older than they hope to retire well-prepared and they hope to vacation more and they hope to remain healthy for the rest of their lives. And all of these hopes are okay. They're not sinful, but they're temporary. You gotta understand that. They're just hopes that have to do with the things of this world. But guys, when the hurricanes of life hit, when divorce hits your life, whether it's your own marriage or the marriage of maybe your son or your daughter or a loved one. When divorce hits, when there's serious health issues, kidney transplants are needed. When there's significant financial debt, long phases of unemployment, a death of a loved one, Maybe it's when you have a, a child that is not at all walking with the Lord and making some really stupid decisions. Maybe when someone that you care about deeply hurts you very deeply. Those earthly hopes 
Don't keep us afloat. We need a hope that's more significant than I hope to get a job. I hope the company I work for has good health insurance. I hope to get a house someday. Those mean very, very little when again, the big storms of life hit. We need a greater hope. Hebrews six nineteen talks about this greater hope when it says, this hope we have is an anchor of our soul. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. God has a plan and God has already given you, if you're a believer, this hope and it anchors your soul in the storms of life. No matter what this fallen sinful world throws at you, we are called as believers to be filled with and overflowing with hope no matter what hopeless circumstances we might be in. A hope that stands firm during the storms of life, a hope that caused Abraham and Sarah to stand firm in the midst of barrenness, Hope that caused Moses to stand firm when he had the Red Sea on one side and the incoming pursuing Egyptian army on the other. A hope that caused Paul and Silas to sing praises to God in prison when what was happening in that culture and happened with Stephen just right before was people that spoke out about Christ were being killed for their faith. Knowing they were answering to those authorities the next day and knowing that the outcome would probably be death, they're filled with hope. Their mouth is still singing praises to God. So here's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna see what does the Bible instruct us and tell us to put our hope in? I did this study several years ago, the first time, um, um, and it was during a time where um, Kathy and I have four boys. Uh, If you don't know me, um, um, we have an almost 16-year-old. He turns, Zach turns 16 on Friday, and our other kids are 22. Ryan's 22, Brandon's 24, and our oldest son, Sean, is 26. And Sean is severely autistic and mental retarded. Uh, His IQ is under 20, which is lower than his father. Um, He is still in diapers. He cannot communicate in any way. He's very, very profound in his autism and mental retardation. So as we go through this situation of life, I'm like, I need some hope. Kathy's saying, I need hope. So I went on a study just to say, to try to find out in scripture, what do I biblically find my hope in? I know what hope means in the material sense, in the earthly sense, natural sense. But biblically, what does God instruct me to find my hope in? Because I need it. Because we're in a hopeless circumstance. And as I studied, I found two things that Scripture commands us to put our hope in. The first one is God himself, God himself. Take and turn back to the middle of your Bibles to Psalm chapter 31. Psalm 
Psalm chapter 31. Time to get my glasses out, I guess. I'm getting old. Psalm chapter 31, verses 9 and 10. Let me ask you, and this is a Psalm of David. I just want you to understand a couple of things that if you're feeling, how many of you, this is an interesting question. How many of you feel like you are in kind of, I don't want to say that. How many of you feel, have felt in the last month pretty hopeless? There's a situation in your life you felt pretty hopeless about. Raise your hand. Okay, I, I, know, I, I know I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't have people raise their hands because everyone goes, why does people, why do pastors do that? Sorry about that, okay. Um, <laughs> so you guys, if you just raise your hand and for the others of you that should have, uh, but you lie, I'm just kidding. Uh, remember a lie is any deception. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you gotta understand you're in good company when, you, when your life has hopeless circumstances in it. And David was a guy that I think he kind of knew who God was, okay? Uh, God said about him, he's a man after my own heart, but he can identify with this. I want you to see this, Psalm chapter 31, starting in verse nine, he says, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my body has wasted away. I don't know if you ever feel that way, but I can identify when you're in, again, a hopeless situation. It's hard and it just takes a toll and you're distracted and you're stressed and you're drained. But what happens here is this, is that David goes from starting off focusing on his situation to eventually as he spends time in prayer, he starts, takes his eyes off the situation, he starts focusing on his God. And that changes everything. Because by the end of that Psalm, in verse 24 it says, be strong. Let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Years ago, Michael Wells came here and he spoke here at Wildwood and he did a conference here. Michael's awesome. He's, he's now having a lot more fun than we are um, because he's with the Lord. But uh, he, he talked about, you know, that if you put a, a J on one hand and a C on the other, um, that is a great thing to do to train you, to train your mind how to deal with, with hopeless circumstances. And so I did that. I, I took and, uh, and I put with a permanent magic marker, I put a J on one, this hand and I put a, a C over there and kids in the youth group, I'd come to youth group and I had that on my hands and they said, oh, that's cool. Jesus Christ, right? Well, close, but no. And what Michael talked about was that in any situation of our life, we either focus on Jesus or we focus on our circumstances. And so I, I, I wrote those on the back of my hands to remind me. I saw them all day long. I'd be driving my car and someone would pull in front of me or, you know, I'd, you know, get a red light, just stupid things that would just like, you know, and, you know, that could 
but that can affect our, the way we think and our perspective sometimes. And I'm driving along and it's like, I'm looking at that on my steering wheel, looking back at me, JC, what am I gonna focus on? Am I gonna focus on Jesus or my circumstances? David learned that when life got hard, it was time to look and find his hope in the Lord. And he does that. Take and turn over just a couple pages to Psalm 39, excuse me. Psalm 39, verse 7. It says there, and now, Lord, this is also a Psalm of David, and now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. <laughs> My hope is in you. In Psalm 71, verse five, David proclaims, for you are my hope, O Lord. You are my confidence since my youth. Guys, listen. The first thing we need to find our hope in is God himself. In the midst of hopeless circumstances, we look to him. He is ever-present, all-powerful, all-knowing, and totally sovereign. Psalm 103, you gotta memorize this. Turn over there real fast. You gotta memorize this. Mark this in your Bible big time. Psalm 103, verse 19. Look at this, this is so good. (laughs) The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over most. No, you know, we can be hopeless if that's what it says. His sovereignty rules over all. So whatever you're going through right now, whatever situation you're in, I talk a lot of times, I have parents call me, I have parents that they're like, they're freaking out because of the direction of their kid and the life and the choices that their kids are making. And I find myself over and over just saying, you're not God, but he is. And his sovereignty rules over all. He is in control no matter how hopeless this circumstance might be. God is bigger than your hopeless circumstance. He is in control. His sovereignty rules over all. He's in total control. And guys, listen carefully. This is free this morning. Faith is a refusal to panic. Faith is a refusal to panic. And faith is also a refusal to cave into hopelessness in our lives. There are no accidents with God. He has a loving plan for his children. And we might not understand it. There's times that God throws issues in my life And a big one, again, is Sean's autism. 
And to this day, I'll be honest with you, I still don't know. I was hoping, I've, I prayed for years. I haven't prayed it lately, but I prayed, Lord, I pray that before Kathy and I die, sometime in this life that you will reveal to us why in your plan did you allow Sean to be autistic and mental retarded? I still don't know. But I totally, I, I have no doubts that God is good and that he loves me. But we're called to live by faith and not by sight. Guys, this is a crazy, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping this part up, but listen, here it is. Here's the truth, listen. God is in total control and he loves me. God is in total control and he loves me. Would you please say that to yourself about a thousand times a day? God is in total control and he loves me. Truth is, I hate to admit this, but the truth is we we tend to think our will for our life is better than God's will for our life. And some of you are thinking, no, I don't think that, Dave. It's true. I, I mean, we're all guilty. And I'll, I'll, I'll prove it to you. Every time you complain, every time you complain or grumble, you are saying, God, you screwed up. Every time you complain, you're basically saying, my will is better than yours. I, we just finished, turn over to Galatians chapter six. We just finished in uh, Youth Wave um, a study. We did, went verse by verse through the book of Galatians. <laughs> and I've got to admit, um, <laughs> I've, I kind of have this funny thing I, I do uh, sometimes when I write handwritten letters, not when I am doing something um, on computer or something or typing something, but when I write handwritten letters, I've noticed that there's pastors like John MacArthur would sign his name and then put a verse underneath it. And Bruce did the same thing. Bruce, it's Colossians what? But yeah, but what was it? Colossians one twenty eight. okay. And um, so I thought, I need a verse because that's so cool and so spiritual looking. So, uh, you know, all the really good guys, have, you know, sign their name and put a verse under it. So, so I thought, okay, I'm gonna find me a verse. Well, this is the verse I found. And I signed my handwritten letters with this verse. Some of you in this room might even have some of these um, And it's Galatians 6, verse 11, and this is the verse. See what what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. (laughs) So I just thought this will be really fun because most of these are sanctify the Lord as Christ is Lord in our hearts. (laughs) You know, and I thought this would be awesome because I tend to have pretty big writing. Um, not as big as Alexis and Brooke Morin, but still 
pretty big. And, uh, and so um, I thought this will be appropriate. <laughs> and so my, my, I just chuckle when I think of someone that, you know, like a graduating senior or something or or I don't know, shepherds or something that maybe I write them a Christmas card and they see this verse, Galatians 6, 11. Huh, I wonder what that is. I don't know what that is off the top of my head and see them go home and look in their Bibles and see with what large letters I am writing to you with my, huh. Anyway, so, um, so that was the most important thing about this verse to me until, until this, this last study. And God revealed something, I think, to me. Um, And again, this is all, you don't have to agree with what I'm gonna say in the next few minutes. I can't fully back it up biblically, but I'm gonna give you my perspective. I think that Paul was almost blind. Um, And, you know, as I've studied and thought through this, why would Paul say, see with what large letters I'm writing to with my hand? I knew that Paul makes sense that at the end of his letters, he takes the pen himself from the person that's that's writing it. And uh, he would usually dictate it and someone else would write it that had better handwriting. And that was pretty common in that day. But he, as a sign and protection to the church, would you'd kind of know the letter was from Paul because he would tend to take the pen at the very end and write some things in his own own handwriting. So, okay, but why does he use large letters? He's making a distinction between probably the letters that were written in Galatians before this verse. So I'm thinking, well, Again, it it could just be he just wrote with large letters. But again, paper was not, they didn't have paper back then. It was pretty expensive what they wrote on. And I think he had to write with large letters. And I think it was because of the fact that he could barely see. If you turn back just a page or two to chapter four, um, verse 15, I think it is. He says, and he's, again, you gotta understand Galatians. Um, We we weren't supposed to do this this morning, but anyway, Galatians is a book where he goes into Galatia, he preaches the gospel. Everybody responds real positively to it. He leaves a bunch of legalists called the Judaizers. They come in after him and they basically say, hey, you don't, you not only need to believe in Jesus and his death on the cross, but you also need to do other stuff too. You need to keep the Old Testament law. You need to eat certain things. You need to get circumcised. You need to do all these things uh, for you to be a real Christian. In other words, they preach to work salvation, Christ plus something else. And so Paul is freaking out because he's like, he's writing this letter saying, what are you doing? Why, you know, (laughs) why would you begin something by faith and try to continue it with works? Try to continue it in the flesh. You begun by the spirit, but now you're, you're, you're caving to the flesh. And so it's in that context. And the Judaizers also, they tried to discredit Paul and make the, the Galatians think less of Paul. And so they kind of did some of that stuff too. But what happens here is, you know, Paul is writing them and he's talking about his time back when he was with them. And he says, where then is that sense of blessing you had? 
For I bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Now, again, it could have been a popular phrase. It was an expression of commitment to a person, and that could be totally true. But I don't know. It's kind of weird that you have all things you would choose. You would pluck out your eyes and give them to me. Um. Turn back just, this is rich. Turn back to just a few pages to 2 Corinthians verse 12. Here's the bottom line, whether it was eye problems or not. um, Paul tells something here and I wanna just go over this quickly. He says, 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse two, for I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I don't know, God knows, such a man was caught up into the third heaven. So that's, you know, the abode of God. Verse three, and I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words that a man is not permitted to speak. So Paul has this incredible, God gives Paul this incredible glimpse of heaven. And notice how he responds, verse seven, And because of the surpassing greatness of this revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. He goes probably in serious periods of prayer before God, three times saying, God, please remove this thorn in the flesh. Now, again, I think it was his eyesight. You don't have to believe that. But it's something to do with his flesh, this thorn in the flesh. And he asked God three times, God, please take this away. Notice what God says, verse nine. And he said to me, no, basically. (laughs) Um, You can read the text and we will, but God doesn't remove the thorn. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may be dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. I am well content with insults. I am well content with distresses. I am well content with persecutions. I am well content with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Guys, here's the truth and let this sink in, okay? Again, please don't listen with your head right now with your heart or actually listen with both. But just because you're walking with the Lord and living in obedience to him, it does not mean that your life is going to be free from problems. The truth is people that love God are not free from problems. It was never God's plan for them to be. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation or troubles. Then he says, but cheer up. So he literally says in the original language, but cheer up, I've overcome the world. 
You look at the life of Christ himself, a man acquainted with much grief. You look at Paul's life, and so it's sometimes when I'm flipping channels at night and I see these people that saying, God wants you healthy, wealthy, and happy, I just think, what Bible are you reading? But here's the comforting thing. Problems are a part of our lives, and you're saying, well, why is that comforting? That doesn't sound like good news to me. Because I think we subconsciously think, it's very subconscious, but we think that if we really love God and we're really walking closely with him and we're living in obedience, that we, we just think God's not gonna let anything bad happen. We just kinda have that thought. And guys, the truth is, is that that's not true. What God wants to do is God wants to, you know, his... his His goal for our life is to not to make us happy. It's not to make us comfortable. His goal for our life is to conform us to the image of his son. And he uses struggles in our life. He uses hopeless situations that we can activate our faith. We can look to him. We can find our hope in him. And he can give us the strength as it says here. He's gonna give us the strength to go through it. My grace is sufficient for you. Powers made perfect in weakness. When I'm weak, I'm strong. We get to the point where we say, I surrender. God, I can't do it. And he goes, thank you. It's about time you got there. (laughs) And we fall on our face and we say, God, if you don't live your life through me, if you don't live your life in and through me, I can't live the life that you've called me to. And that's exactly the place He wants us to be. God did not remove the thorn, but he gives Paul the grace to handle it. And that leads to the second thing very, very quickly that the Bible instructs us to put our hope in, and that is simply this, heaven. Heaven. Only two things, people. Only two things that God instructs us to put our hope in, himself, God himself, and secondly, heaven. One day, all of those thorns will all be removed. Titus 3, uh, excuse me, Titus 2.13 tells us to, quote, look for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our blessed hope. I wanna close this morning just reading a couple verses from Revelation, talking about this place we're gonna go. Here's the truth, guys. It's not always gonna be like this. I want you just to close your eyes as I read some verses through here and then we'll, um, we'll be done this morning. Just close your eyes and listen. Imagine this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he shall dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. 
and he showed me a river of the water of life clear as crystal coming down from the throne of God and of the lamb and in the middle of the street. And on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse and the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it and his bondservants shall serve him. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who have washed their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gate into the city. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Father, you are so good. We thank you that you are sovereign, that your sovereignty rules over all. And Father, I pray that you'd give us the faith to believe, the faith to be able to find our hope first in you, and secondly, in the future that you're preparing for us right now. Lord Jesus, we ask you, come back quickly. We are excited to be face-to-face with you. We love you, Lord. Increase our faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name.